Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is the Wesson Walker Show. All right, biggest accomplishment overall for Steve Wilkes. And it doesn't have to be a game, right? It can be the improvement and succeeding with Sam Darnold in those six games. It can be the rushing defense. It can be allowing Deontay Foreman to flourish. It could be a whole bunch of different It's West Well, stuff. good Lord, you took everything we could say, eight mile. <laughs> and Walker. Tell these people something they don't know about them. <laughs> right, you know what I'm saying? Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. That's exactly what that was. Warcry Wednesday. This is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Keep the text coming on the Charlotte Men's Clinic text line 704-570-9610. Hit the socials. We got the treat on there for you today. Walker Mail changing into the B costume. And we got the boomerang on there that you can check out on WFNZ on Twitter and Instagram. At Wesson Walker on Twitter. At Wes Bryant underscore 72. At HTB underscore Josh and at Walker Mail on Twitter or X, whichever you prefer, but check it out, man. We always got the great social content, especially with these punishments coming. You're definitely going to want to hit that follow button. How you feeling, Walker, uh, about 30, 40 minutes into your costume today? This cap is a little tight. So I have this cap around my head on top of the headphones, yeah. and I feel like a little less blood is getting to my brain, just a little <laughs> bit. So that makes me, I don't know, tiny bit dizzy trying to get up and move a little bit so i'm not so stagnant and the intent antennas antennae i believe is plural for insect and yeah. antennae antennae the antennae are a little a little restricting on the dome well so if you pass out man i'll be there to catch you all right okay. I pr- p- p- trust fall wesson walker style we'll put that on social no media. doubt about it all right <laughs> all right big night in college basketball last night in the carolinas when you're talking acc hoops and with that said let's get to the campus coda all right, man. The North Carolina Tar Heels come out. They beat the Pitt Panthers 70-57. to They break their losing streak to the Fighting Capels and the Pitt Panthers. Armando Baycott led UNC with 16 points, becoming the seventh Tar Heel to Armando. score 2,000 career points. He should. He's been there nine years, so he should have 2,000 points. <laughs> uh, Carolina's 5-1 this season when Baycott has a double-double. Uh, Harrison Ingram had a season-low seven points, but Walker, your guy, he stuffed the stat sheet. 15 boards, three assists, two blocks, no turnovers, and hit a key three to give him a nine-point lead with 410 to play. Carolina out-rebounded Pitt by 10, season-high 16 offensive boards, outscored Pitt 15-1 on second-chance points, and Carolina did all of this shooting a season-low 36.5% from the floor, but they held Pitt to 30% from the floor, what do we make of the Tar Heels and their performance last night? Was that a good omen for them moving forward to finally knock off the Pit Panthers? 100%. This is a game Tar Heels might lose in years past. They certainly did last year. Remember, tell me if I'm wrong here, Fiddy, but wasn't it the Pit game 
that kind of started the fall of the team again last year because first they started they lost they had the bad loss to Alabama it was like four overtimes whatever okay still a good team and then I think they had a couple wins in a row and then it was Pitt that allowed their season to I think have a couple of other losses and just never were able to get back on track and so the fact that they got this win was huge also is it possible to love a player even more than you did even if they go to a 14 from the field Harrison Ingram answered that question for me and the answer is absolutely yes how you do it is when you hit big shots down the stretch because this game was not over when Harrison Ingram hit his transition bucket, also hitting a three, finally, from the top of the key, more or less. And he was able to hit two of his uh, 14 field goal attempts when it mattered most. Seven points. All right, not that impressive. But 15 boards, three assists, two blocks. No, only one foul, zero turnovers, Wes. Yeah, I mean, Harrison Ingram is a guy that plays his tail off and affects the game in a lot more ways other than scoring. And you saw that against Pittsburgh last yeah, night. Yeah, Baycott gave you 10 points and six boards in the second half. And Carolina did shoot 43%. Not fantastic, but better because they held Pitt to 26.5% in the second half. And Carolina shot 40% from three. Fitty, what did you think last night watching the boys in blue? Really glad that uh, Jason Capel does not have a Twitter account because I would have added him as many times as we rebounded the ball, which was 51 times. That, to me, was the storyline. Pitt, the best rebounding team in the league, over 42 boards per game. Carolina won the rebounding margin 51-41, to 16-14 to 14 on the offensive glass. It was beautiful. It was vintage. And how about my man Hubert Davis? Once he realized that Jeff Capel was going to complain to get his team in foul trouble, he went and got Teddy TV Valentine by the year and said, uh-uh, that ain't going to happen. I'm going to be in your ear all night long, too. And, and it, it meant something to Carolina because they matched their physicality. They punked them in the second half, and it was a lot of fun shutting those Capel brothers up. Yeah, I think that that was uh, a big for them getting that win against Pitt. Like I said, I'm a big believer in the psychology of sport. And I think for them, you know, losing to Pitt for a fourth time may not – have derailed their season, but I just think for them, it gave them a boost to say, hey, this is a team we've been having trouble clearing, and we were finally able to do that, and so... Fun matchup Saturday, just saying, fun matchup Saturday with the Heels and Clemson. Oh, that's going to be a big yep. one. Yeah, yeah. The Heels, you having 10 wins already on the season, their losses are against good schools so far. Pittsburgh now 0-3 to start conference play. That's a tough start for Capel and company, but really excited about the Tigers-Heels matchup. Alright, so now when we look at the Duke Blue Devils, and they were able to dismantle Syracuse, 86-66 in the game that we were all excited about last night. We thought it had a chance to be a great game. The Blue Devils, 75% shooting in the second half. 8 for 8 from 3, 87% from the line. And that was the difference in this ballgame as they were up 2 at half and ended up outscoring Cuse by 18 in the second half. It was a tremendous, tremendous game for Duke. They've won nine in a row over Syracuse, 11 of the last 12. The eight-for-eight eight shooting from behind the three-point out in the second half is the most made three-pointers in the half without a miss in Duke history. 
They shot 18 of 24, as I said, from the field in the second half, their best shooting performance in any half this season. Held Cuse to 66 points, as I said, 12.4 points below their season average. The Blue Devils have now held each of their 13 opponents below their respective scoring average, and that was a big trend with Duke last year. They did that to everybody every week, and they had a season-high 11 steals for the second straight game, forcing 17 turnovers, scoring 26 points off of those. And so bringing up Jared McQueen, Jared McCain quickly, is this guy the X factor for this team? Because he hit all four of his three-point shots in the second half. He finished with 18 points. He's now made three three-pointers or more in six games this season, including five straight outings. And they are 6-0 and oh when he makes at least three triples. And he's shooting 53% during this Duke win streak. So what do we think about Duke's performance? And is Jared McCain the guy that's going to be the X factor if Duke is to make any type of championship run? Well, them getting hot in the second half certainly helped them with this 20-point victory that they had at home. It's weird because you ask if McCain is the X factor. I feel like they have a bunch of X factors. This is how it feels with this basketball team. Yeah, Proctor, Filipowski, there's the there those are the two stars. Stud, yeah. yeah. But it feels like Roach could be an X Factor one night, and he's See, been pretty Roach solid. I'll put Roach in the star combo with those guys. Maybe he's on the bridge of stardom okay. to X Factor. But I'm with you. Probably a little bit more than an X Factor. But even like a Mark Mitchell, I think he was he was helping them out in the first half when they weren't shooting 75% from the field, and that got them over to the second half when finally everybody else started to eat. It's hard for me to pinpoint one individual and say, yeah, that's the one that has such a big old swing and outcome, depending on how he plays. Because I feel like their team is chop full of whatever we consider an X factor to be. Josh, are you uh oh, Josh. were you impressed by, by the Duke shooting He's performance last night in the second half? Um, I mean you gotta be because it was borderline historic. It felt like to me like a vintage Duke game. They didn't play great in the first half. They go on a massive run in the second half to blow the game wide open. We haven't seen that from this team this year. They showed it last night and it's why in my opinion, they have the highest ceiling of any ACC team. All right. Well, another team with a high ceiling, my Wake Forest Demon Deacons. 84-78, to 78, they get a tough road win over Boston College. And they use some hot second-half shooting, too. 62% from the field, 55% from three, led by Cam Hildreth, who had 14 points. Reed had 11 points and 10 boards all in the second half. And the Demon Deacons got the job done. They are now on an eight-game win streak, their longest streak since the 2008-2009 season. Hunter Salas led all scores with 21 points, and his performance was his seventh of the year in which he recorded 20 or more points, including three straight games. Big man Afton Reed, as I said, he had a big game double-double in the second half, but he also posted 11 points on a perfect 4 for 4 shooting. And then it was the 12th time this season where Wake Forest had four players registered double figures in scoring. And also they shot 54% from the field, 47 from three, 92 from the charity stripe this season. Tuesday featured the fourth time this season in which Wake Forest has recorded at least 10 triples. Listen, man, I told you yesterday, I'm excited about this team very much so. You heard Seth Greenberg say that this is the best starting five in the ACC. No, and they don't no, even have... No. Okay, well, you can hate all you want. Come on, Wes. But Damari Monsanto has not even come back yet. This team looks primed and ready to make some noise in the ACC. What do we think about the Deeks last night? Well, I hope that this continues in conference play. And here you are beating Boston College, but once we get into the middle portion of the season, 
I hope you're able to finish strong once you even get to the ACC tournament. But isn't it really? Yeah, yeah it's a great start. Like this matters a ton for Wake Forest, but also it just matters what they're going to do at the end of the season because you get to the ACC tournament and that's when they've had a real chance to get to the NCAA and it doesn't happen for them. And so I'm hoping that they can continue me this. Me too. You and me both. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping that it can continue, but it does feel like there is a little something different here. It doesn't feel like it's the same Wake Forest team of years past. You mentioned Monsanto not being there. I told Forbes he was one of my favorite players to watch in the ACC last year, and he told me he was sorry because of his defense and that he didn't play any. He's like, yeah. wait, I'm, I'm sorry that he's your favorite player. It's like, man, I'm trying to give one of your guys some love, and you just won't let me do it. And so even when he comes back, despite the not-so-great defense, he can shoot with the best of them, man. And that's going to add a, a much-needed boost. Well, them. I was also excited. Keep this name in mind, Parker Frogerson. They said last night on the broadcast that Coach Forbes said he's the best shooter that he's ever signed. And so I was pretty excited about that because this is the guy that when I brought up Victor Wimbenyama to him, he said the best prospect that he had ever seen coming out of high school was a guy he recruited by the name of Penny Hardaway. So Coach is one of those basketball savant type of guys that's been around the game a ton. And so uh, I'm very happy with what I've seen from them. And I think this team does have a chance doing things. Fitty, do you have anything nice to say about the no, Deeks or are you no, going to keep hating? Let's no go way. ahead and hit the hate. Go ahead and hate on us. Did you say a big <laughs> road win at Boston College? That was a nice road win because normally <laughs> those are the type of games that Wake would blow for them to go and get a tough game. Because I'm telling you, Boston College is better than you think, man. Post him ball out. Now, he didn't. He wasn't keeping the same energy last night on the phone. He was like, ah, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But, yeah, Boston College, I think, is going to be better than people think they will. <laughs> They're a new balance school, Wes. You can't take them seriously. Look, in, in all honesty, I want you guys to be good. I love when Wake Forest is good. I hope you're right. By the way, when y'all come up to Chapel Hill and we run your asses out of the gym, right. it's all the more fun Like you for did me. the last couple years? Oh, oh okay. All right. Typical anyway. Wake Forest fan living yeah. in the past, right. living in the past. <laughs> it's this year. All this right. year. Who lives in the past more than four corners back here? Four? NC State fans. Dallas Cowboy fans. <laughs> Dallas Cowboy fans. They live in the past. I'm talking about of the collective of us mm -hmm. who lives in the past well, of their I know. I team's was... former glory. Than one Josh Fitty model. Um, Nada texted me, friend of the show, uh -oh. and he said, uh, look, Jeremy Roach is not an X Factor. He's a cornerstone. I was like, cornerstone seems strong. Yes. But if you look at him this year, I do have to take back any bridge to even X Factor. I'll take it back. Not an X Factor. Thank you, Nada, for setting me right. But cornerstone seems a little strong. Yeah, I mean, he's not even in the top 20 in the ACC in scoring right now. But he's, I, I think he's a, I think he's he's a good player. I think he's the, the glue guy. I think he's one of those, you know, those famous phrases, heart and soul of the team. I feel like that's what Roach is to the Blue Devils. That's why I said I put him on the same level as the other guys because he is capable of giving you yeah. 18 to 20. But he's just that vet that's been there that's going to help them when they really need it the most. He's been really good. But also, I mean, some of the numbers even for – look at what McCain's doing. Like, he's playing better than what you would call an X-Factor, certainly uh, yeah, in the he's last playing five well. games. That's why I said his shooting and what he provides for this team, that's why I beg the question of is he going to be that guy because you know what you're going to get from Flip. You know what you're going to get from Proctor. But he's that third guy that they need. And Mark Mitchell's another guy that when he plays good, Duke really goes. But I think McCain is that guy because he's going to provide that dead-on shooting uh, that they're looking for. But when we come back on the Wesson Walker Show, what's the latest intel on Carolina's coaching search on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ?
McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Walker back on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Okay, we never played that, so what's the theme for this? Like, I feel like this was played for a reason. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was just uh, a song that he decided to play. Here's what I really think happened. It's usually you have different shows with different music folders and Flounder's in here. And so I think Fiddy is playing a Mac and Bone mm. song. I think so. That's what I would say from that folder, but maybe I'm wrong. Usually when I listen to Mac and Bone... It's usually a lot of them bones, Allison Chains. I've heard that a lot. Yeah. It's always some big time guitar riff coming in and some, you know, real, I guess, I, what is it, like punk rock? They, they had this debate last year where, like, what is Allison Chains? What is their actual music category? Like, where do they fall? And so I never really know because I think Mac and Bone and Kyle had a show feud about what kind of category of music that actually falls under. And I don't really know like that, to be honest with you. That's a good question. I would. I all I remember is playing. I know they're rock, but I just need to. All I know is I remember playing them in uh, in rock band. You remember that? Not Guitar Hero, mm-hmm. but I was a rock band guy. Loved Guitar Hero too. But once they brought out the drums, that was my thing. From what I see, people call them heavy metal. That's that's the route I would have gone. But see, a lot, yeah, so it's either heavy metal or, I guess, grunge. It was one of those two. Yeah, because Stanford P said, yes, grunge. As I say it, it's starting to come into the text line. And so which one does it fall under? I think that's kind of the debate right now, which I am not one that is well-informed enough to tell you, oh, this is definitively a grunge song slash heavy metal song. That's just not me. Yeah, the grunge, because I feel like they've been around for so long. Like, yeah, these are older guys. I don't know if I would classify them as grunge because you're I saying associate... alice in chains you know yeah alice in associate... chains is, is sweet i just don't know what kind of music that i would definitively call it okay well their first album came out in 1990 so i guess you could consider it that this is walker and wesson walker discover grunge music this yeah. is this segment yeah because i remember when that was popping and it was like mid 90s when you had the pearl jams because i love pearl jam mm-hmm. so um and i remember those groups in nirvana and all those guys when they came out so that's the only thing and yeah they're seattle based they're grunge they're grunge 90, <laughs> that's all you need to know. 90 seattle <laughs> yeah. yeah 90 seattle that's grunge yeah dog. that's it all right yeah. we only needed to know that they were from seattle and that is uh the definitive answer that we were all looking for in this segment let's go to the tease what's the latest intel on the coaching search speaking of kyle bailey he had joe person of the athletic on yesterday and they talked about what was up right now in the coaching search could we expect a certain type of candidate who is the leader in the clubhouse? Let's go with the first soundbite. Here's Joe Person on the Kyle Bailey Show discussing if it's a certainty that the next head coach will be an offensive mind. I, I, I can't say 100%. No. I mean, I, I think 
certainly that seems to be the way it's going and leaning and all that. And just like it was 12 months ago, I mean, here we are again. You know, I've had a couple people mention Dan Quinn's name to me. Now, maybe it's being driven by Scott Fitter and Dan Morgan, who worked with Dan Quinn in Seattle, because if it is Dan Quinn, then they might get to stick around. But listen, Dan Quinn's a good coach. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, beyond whatever the connection is here, you know, he's probably going to, I mean, he's had offers before, at least to interview, and it pro- we'll get him again. But, you know, I, I don't know. Who's his offense coordinator, I guess, is the question. But, no, I, I think it'll be an offensive guy, but I'd never say never with this crowd. Dan Quinn, enough of a name there for Joe Person to spend a little time talking about. I think that means something. How cool would you be if Dan Quinn was the next Panthers head coach if you were a Panthers fan? Well, he did take Atlanta to a Super Bowl. So that's one thing. And I think that's important in the search. I'm not the biggest fan of retreads. And Carolina just had one here. So to answer your question, I think he's done a fantastic job with Dallas's defense. Um, and I think he's one of the best defensive coordinators out there, but I wouldn't be thrilled with a retread. Uh, you know, he's already had a shot. And that's not to say he's not deserving of one because of how great of a job he's done. But to me, it just doesn't move the meter. It doesn't bring the excitement as much to bring Dan Quinn here. You know, I, I've, I started to, I don't know about lean this way. I would be cool with Averro being the next head coach. Talked about Mike McDonald with Baltimore. If he was the hire, it'd be hard to argue with his success. I think not only do you have a lot of really good players defensively in Baltimore, but he's done such a good job of scheming defensive coverages, hiding different things to then deploy the next week, you know, just listening to other smart NFL minds talk about what he's done defensively. That's something that excites me. If he were to be the head coach, would be more than accepting, willing to have that um, a part of my favorite football team. I think I do lean a little bit more towards the offensive mind. And we went over some of the history. It doesn't mean that you can't be successful at all with a defensive-minded head coach. That's not what it means. But if I wanted to try to figure out what the best odds were at finding a successful head coach that sticks around, more often than not, it's been the offensive guys. Now, absolutes, like there's no reason to deal in absolutes here. I'm not saying that the other you know side can't work. But more often than not, the offensive-minded coaches that have been hired that work out, they stick around, and they've done a good job. So whoever you would hire as your offensive coordinator, let's say that Dan Quinn comes aboard and David Tepper throws all the money in the world at Bobby Slowick. Not that he would leave, but just whatever. I'm just putting a name out there. If you would bring him over, then okay, now Bobby Slowick might go out and get a head coaching job, and you can't keep him. And so think about it's hard to hire a really good coach, right? So if you hire a good coach the first time, that's fantastic. That good offensive coordinator leaves for a head coaching job because there is one more step to take up. So now you have to hire another really good offensive coordinator. And it's hard to do. You know what? Kyle Shanahan has done an excellent job of hiring the right defensive coordinator. Robert Sala leaves, earned the job based off what he did in San Francisco. uh, Then it's D'Amico Ryans, earns the job in Houston based off what he did in San Francisco. Welcome Steve Wilkes, all of them bright defensive minds. Those are all really good hires. But it's still really hard to do it, right? And so if an offensive mind leaves constantly, the other thing is, do you want to risk that with having a young QB? So here you have Bryce Young, who we want to have continuity, stability, all of that stuff to try to set him up for the most success possible. Well, do you think that you can set him up with the most success if you're retreading offensive coordinators 
what, every two years? Maybe every year if they do such a good job. That's what I'm worried about, Wes. I think that's a great point that you bring up, the fact of cycling in multiple offensive coordinators, especially if you start to have success on that side if you choose to go the defensive coach route. Because I was going to say, I'm not opposed to a defensive coach as long as they have the right mentality, the right vibe. Because you think about a Pete Carroll uh, and the energy that he brings, that he's still very vibrant and he finds a way to get the offense uh, going and keep them afloat over the years. He's had some up and down times, but you know, I think of the Pete Carrolls and, and, and some of those guys but I think, as you said, I think that would be the number one reason I would do it because to me it doesn't really matter. I think if you go offense or defense, as long as you hire a defensive coach that has the right offensive philosophy and mindset that doesn't want to stick to the age-old, you know, run the ball and play defense, which is always important, especially playoff time, but you want a guy that's thinking dynamic. You want a defensive coordinator that's going to think about dynamic offense. And so I think if you can get that, that's great. But I do love the point you bring to the table as far as having an offensive coordinator so you can keep that continuity with Bryce Young. That's the reason to put him as a head coach is so they don't go anywhere. Right. So you can protect your resource. That is also helping with Bryce. And I, I heard this point made, I think it was on the Kyle Bailey show last week. And I forget what guest it was, sorry, but it was a, they were talking about Jacksonville and it was how Trevor Lawrence, underwhelming season because we all expected him to blow up. You have Doug Peterson there as a head coach, and so that matters a lot, especially as an offensive mind. But you've had to undergo quite a bit of change so far in your first few years in the NFL. Yeah. It, it's, it's just not something that you want to put on your young QB's plate. Hell, he's already undergone change in his rookie season. Frank Reich's gone it, in a, you know, as quick a fashion, you know, disregarding a couple of other coaches in years past. Like he is the outed coach at the third highest rate. Right. So Frank Reich being gone now, you have to bring in Thomas Brown. You're going back and forth, back and forth. I don't expect Thomas Brown to be back. So now you're bringing in another offensive coordinator. Now you got to learn a whole new system on top of him developing chemistry with what I would assume are new weapons next year on what I hope is a different core of the offensive line. Like we'll see what happens with Icky, whatever, but clearly changes have to be made. So with all this change, I, I want to bring somebody in that I know is not going to cause you to change things again the next season, because it it's even different with Trevor. As I bring up the Doug Peterson example, you can have an offensive minded guy bring in an offensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator leaves, but you still are under the same umbrella from an offensive standpoint. If Frank Smith leaves Miami, it's still Mike McDaniel down there, right? Mm -hmm. And he's the one calling plays anyway. So if you can work out something like that and the OC leaves, fine, good for him. But when you're a defensive mind and you aren't really tailoring the offense as much, that's when I'm a little worried about Bryce Young having to go undergo so much change. So we'll see what happens there. You got another point? About oh, no, I was stuff? just going to say, too, is that we've seen from this year that Bryce is definitely the type of guy that needs to be insulated with the right amount of talent. Because when you look at, like, Belichick and Brady, you know, Belichick, for a lot of years, wasn't going out trying to find the best of the best offensive talent to play with Brady because he knew that Brady could take bargain bin guys and turn them into studs. And so I think that uh, that's another Good point as well is that I think we've seen Bryce Young now without the records of talent around him and what that looks like. So that's why, you know, the free agency and the guys you put around him are going to be just super duper important because, as I've said, there are quarterbacks that can get it done with, you know, bargain bin talent. There are ones that are not. And Bryce looks to me like the type of guy that he's going to need 
you know, at least one guy that's going to dictate coverage. Well, I mean, Tom Brady, yet he's the best of all time. He is. So it's a tough ask. But he also had a really good offensive line all those years in New England. And so that's something that can help you, especially when you're getting the ball out of your hands so quickly. That's always been the M.O. with Tom Brady. Knows exactly where to go with the football. Just dink and dunk, dink and dunk. And can hit you with the deep ball for sure. But when was he the guy throwing for the most touchdown passes in a season? It's when he had Randy Moss. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to help you. When you get one of the best three wide receivers of all time at the very least. And also when you have Wes Welker, who's a downright monster, making sure he's Mr. First yeah, Down. Wrong. And so once you give him those, well, yeah, Rob Gronkowski might be the best tight end of all time. Yeah. Certainly in that discussion. And so, yeah, offensive line, weapons, continuity, all the good stuff. We want all the good stuff for Bryce Young. Now, I don't know who's going to be making this decision. Is it going to be David Tepper because he just can't help himself? Is it going to be a new GM? Or is it going to be Scott Fitterer, who was staring at the football field in a daze as he sees the drink fly from David Tepper's hands? (laughs) He doesn't know if that guy's going to fire him. Or what would you rather have happen to you? Continue to be able to cash those checks from the crazy owner? Or just get fired from the crazy owner and go work for somebody professional. I really don't know. Because it's a tough ask for me. I don't know if Scott, if Scott Fitter is going to be that guy making this hire. And I don't know if he'll get another job if he gets fired from here. You know, well, which is probably the winning argument. And he might just want to go ahead and stay with Carolina <laughs> and try to fix this mess. Yeah. Here's Joe Person from The Athletic joining the Kyle Bailey Show. Discussing how he's heard conflicting reports surrounding Scott Fitterer's future. My sense is that they're going to be hiring a new general manager, although people in the building still seem to think that, that Scott Fitter could survive. Uh, and so we'll see. That's going to play out here in the next six days. It feels increasingly, I don't want to say more likely that feels wrong, but the chances are higher that he stays as we get closer to the end of the season, especially if Joe Person is hearing conflicting reports. We know that David Tepper is not one to bite his tongue. He'll let you know how he feels. If he's having these weekly meetings with Frank Reich, and Frank Reich reveals that, I'm sure he's having them with Scott Fitterer, maybe even more so because he's a little bit closer to the owner. And so if they're having these weekly meetings or however frequent those meetings are, as Frank Reich told you once more, they're not fun. So why do people in the building believe that there's a shot he could stick around or that he could survive this? I guess it doesn't mean that he will, But I am surprised that there is that feeling that, you know what, despite moving on from a couple of different coaches, the guy that has lasted a couple of different regimes might be here for a third head coach. That doesn't make any sense to me. And that's why it's surprising to hear that he might stick around. Yeah. And so if he does, like I said, his work's going to be cut out for him more than ever before because of all the holes there are to fill as opposed to what we thought it was going to be heading into the season, man. So if he is retained, he's going to have to do a masterful job, I think, to keep his job until uh, the next season because there's so much work to be done here. So if he's going to prove that he belongs in one of those 32 jobs, this is the offseason to do it if he's fortunate enough to keep his post. You would love to have a nice coaching staff, a nice GM to make sure Bryce Young is well set up for the future. So here we are where we're trying to figure out if Ajero Averro could be the guy. We've also heard that Ben Johnson and Averro would be the dream. What are the chances of that happening in your mind, Wes? And is that something you would sign up for if it was possible? Ben Johnson, top target, alongside Averro because he's getting a lot of money as a defensive coordinator. Um, Yeah, I mean, you like what you've seen 
from Avero. I mean, the run defense leaves a lot to be desired this season, but for the most part, this has been uh, a pretty good defense that's kept Carolina in most of the games that they've played. And so I think if Ben Johnson is open to it, I think that he and Evero would be a good tandem together. It would be interesting to see what Evero would do with another year of this defense and making some upgrades at some positions. I don't know necessarily if I'd call it a dream team because, like I said, Ben Johnson, we still don't know you know, what he's going to do when he gets the post. I mean, I think Detroit, I love what they do offensively, but man, you know, they're loaded from a personnel standpoint. And so uh, I just love to see what, you know, Ben Johnson's going to do with a bit of a stripped down personnel. If he comes to Carolina, it's going to be a lot different than what he's got in Detroit. But based off his potential and Evero's potential, what he's shown already, I think it would be a very good tandem. Yeah, I think it. I'd sign up for that. I'd, it's as nice a job as you could do from a top target standpoint and plus it's it's not like carolina is the only one that wants ben johnson it'd be a little weird it was maybe a little bit of the kellen moore mold last year where it didn't feel like kellen moore was being interviewed for a lot of head coaching jobs i don't think i'm wrong about that of course he ends up going to the chargers and is their offensive coordinator but it, it was weird i remember being surprised to see that kellen was one of the finalists to be the head coach for Carolina last year. And instead, they decided to roll with Frank Reich. I mean, it was even, we kind of went down a little bit into that rabbit hole, and it felt like Kellen Moore was actually the second choice over Steve Wilkes. That it was Frank Reich one, Kellen Moore two, and Steve Wilkes third, but at that point, it doesn't even matter. That means you were so far out of getting this job. Of course, he goes to San Francisco. Ben Johnson and Najero Avero, that would be a tandem I think a lot of teams would sign up for. I just want David Tepper to let Ben Johnson choose who his coaching staff is if Ben Johnson is the head coach. Let him be the head coach. Like, yeah, of course, I like Avero for what he's done this year. And it's one of the few things, I guess, that worked out when you're, I guess, advising Frank Reich to bring in Avero from the Denver Broncos organization. I just want Tepper to stay away from this stuff. And yeah, while I would sign up for that tandem, Wes, I would choose first to have Ben Johnson hire his choice at defensive coordinator so everybody can be on the same page. Yeah, and I think that's going to be key. I think the head coach needs to be able to come in here and do what it is they need to do to help them be successful because at the end of the day, if they get fired, it's going to come down to them and the choices that they make. So that's why I think that it is most important because we heard all offseason about the team team and then now... Just a few weeks ago, we had an athletic story talking about how that dream team was the dream team when you talk about the mean girls, okay? Because that's what it sounded like to me was factions and cliques and all of that going on within the coaching staff and all of that stuff. So that didn't necessarily work out. So this coach needs to come in and pick guys who are 100% locked in on his philosophy and what he wants to do to get the most harmony out of this staff and to be able to do the most for this football team because I think just throwing a bunch of guys together just because they're quote-unquote great coaches and great at what they do, it's not a good mix because, as I said, coaches run in, in, in circles and they know about each other. They form opinions about guys. And so when you just throw a group of guys together, that's a volatile mix. It has the potential to be anyway because you could hire a guy where I could say, well, Walker Mel's getting hired as the head coach. I want you to be the defense coordinator. I've never worked with you, but from what I've heard, I'm like, I don't really get down with him like that but the check is nice so I'll come over and then the minute you say or do something I don't like I'm like man forget this guy man he doesn't know what he's talking about let's do this we on this time and that that's the chance you run instead of having a guy where I'm like I know I can trust this guy I know he's down for me and what I want to do 
I'm going to pick him. Well, and, and you bring up that athletic article. That's one of the main takeaways. It's the fact that, yeah, you had a lot of big names. And if they could work in harmony, as you mentioned, that would be fantastic. But it didn't seem like they did. No. Now, it also didn't feel like it crossed over to either side of the ball. Like, it didn't seem like there were a lot of problems the defense had. With, well, I'm sure the defense had problems with the offense. It, you get the idea, though. It didn't feel like the offense, Jim Caldwell, wasn't disagreeing with Avero publicly. It didn't feel like Josh McCown was disagreeing with D'Angelo Hall. Right? It didn't feel like it crossed the line of scrimmage. It felt like Jim Caldwell had problems with Frank Reich. Frank Reich might have a problem with McCown. It felt like those were the guys that were battling, and that makes sense because you're an offensive-minded guy. If somebody else who's offensive-minded differs from your philosophy, you disagree, you only got one win at the time, then yeah, you're going to want to start to do it your way. And Frank Reich's the head coach disagreeing with you. Ultimately, he has the autonomy to decide to do what he wants to do. And so here he is doing what he's doing. You're still losing. Yeah, it's going to be like, well, wait, let's try what I have here. So that's the reason you would like your head coach to be able to decide who his guys are, so they can all fall in line and have the same philosophy. Right, and then another thing, too, was it was too many hot guys as far as guys that were trying to become head coaches, guys that were talked about as being the next big thing and the next good offensive coordinator and the next good quarterback coach that's going to be an offensive coordinator that'll be a head coach. It's too many. The ego's too big. So when you got a bunch of guys that's running around and they're hot, then, you know, they're going to think they know the most. They're going to think they know better, and it's just not a good mix. When you brought up Mean Girls, it made me think of, on Wednesdays, we throw drinks. <laughs> you like that? Perfect. I didn't even, yeah. All right, Regina George. Mean Girls, solid movie. Oh, yeah. When we talk, We've talked about this before. Fitty actually made me, like, real mad, went zero to 100 by giving me the stank face. Yeah. Because this is a man that is giving me a stank face for liking Mean Girls, knowing damn well he will cape for... Nicholas Sparks musical, and High School Musical. Reading the book, watching the show, all that. Wes, I'm same sorry. thing. It's the same I'm thing sorry. in my book. Can we can we repeat High School Musical? Yeah. And that man had the audacity, yeah. the unmitigated gall to look at me with a stank face for saying Mean Girls is a solid movie. Make it make sense any way you can. You have a fair argument until you slander Wolf of Wall Street. I say it's overrated. Yeah. But what, is Wolf of, what does Wolf of Wall Street have to do with a guilty pleasure movie? That's not a guilty pleasure movie. Every man loves that movie. Not you. That's true. I'm not a man. I guess that's true. You're a B. I just admitted it. Yeah. I'm a Literally. Bumblebee. I mean, if anything, you have Prime, Lindsay Lohan, Rachel McAdams, Lacey Schaubert, like... No, he's not with it. No, 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 no. No, he's looking Quite at me cast, buddy. like I did something wrong. He's going to look me up and down. <laughs> oh, my God. Quite a cast, buddy. Yeah, all right. Not to Fitty, though. That's fine. We'll move <laughs> on. We'll talk about the Charlotte Hornets win for your punishment there, Fitty. I'm wearing a B costume. We're talking Hornets victories right here. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Joey from Huntersville on the text line continuing to nonstop text us saying, are we having sleepovers and pillow fights for watching Mean Girls? Do we turn off Buffy the Vampire Slayer when the other Mean Girls movie, whatever we're watching, goes off? Joey from Huntersville, man, he's not down with any of those movies. To which I say, you're missing out. (laughs) To which I say, you're missing out. Uh, We do have a couple of other people writing in. Saying Wolf of Wall Street, that might be the worst analogy of all time. Trophy Husband uh, said, this is the type of dynamism that we've grown to expect from FNZ comparing our old coaching regime to mean girls. Yes, that is the type of dynamism that we will bring to the show. And also, I'm not alone in a couple people saying that Wolf of Wall Street, just a tick overrated. Go scratch yourself. Well, you know, for every classic, you're going to always find people that say things are overrated. For sure. And so I am one that does say that about Wolf of Wall Street. Now, I will not say that win last night was overrated. I'll take any win I can get it, especially with the Charlotte Hornets. Beating the Sacramento Kings. I don't know about Miracle After Midnight Part 3. We had this debate on Locked On Hornets. Doug was adamant about this not being a Miracle After Midnight Part 3. And by the way, for those that don't know, I'm going to give Doug a shout-out. He's the one that coined the term Miracle After Midnight after Troy Daniels went berserk against the Kings the first time around. Mm. And Eric Collins has given him a shout-out before. Since then, he hasn't been doing it. And so Doug is trying to be out here in the street saying, no, I'm the one. He's the Mm. crazy guy walking up to everybody on the sidewalk. I'm the one that coined Miracle After Midnight. (laughs) Give me praise. That's Doug on Lockdown Hornets. I don't know if it would qualify as that part three. What I will tell you is that Terry Rozier's performance, pretty damn special what he was able to do in the fourth quarter to give them a win despite not having Brandon Miller. Also Terry Rozier. He told us in an interview after the game with Ashley Shamity that he was throwing up. He said he wouldn't call it a flu game, but he was telling you, yeah, man, I was throwing up. I wouldn't call it a flu game, but you know, you can call it what you want. We're going to call it special in order for you to get this victory without Mark Williams, LaMelo ball, Brandon Miller, who's become one of the best players on this roster too. Yeah, I did not expect him to get the win. And so at least maybe a little miraculous, the fact that they got that Yeah, because I did not expect Terry to come back last night. I knew from everything that they said how sick he was, what Coach Cliff said about when he saw him and how bad he looked and things of that nature. So I didn't expect to see him uh, back out on the court last night. So when I saw him, it was a welcome sight for sure. And then the performance that he put on, like you said, I mean, five of seven in the fourth quarter, one of one from three hit. Three free throws as well, man. Two assists down the stretch and, and a steal. So Terry Rozier certainly showed his teammates, you know, what it is to be a vet, professional, gritty, all of those things. So you got to take your hat off the T-Row. Here we are trying to figure out what the future holds for Scott Fitterer. We could have the same conversation about Mitch Kupchak. I heard Mac and Bone bring this up. I think it was yesterday when I was listening how there are some people that would like to move on from Mitch Kupchak maybe before the trade deadline. Maybe that makes sense. I don't think, to to operate that quickly, to try to find somebody, whether it be in the organization, would you just allow Buzz Peterson to be interim GM 
and then have him step into that role. I don't think it makes any sense to make any change midseason. And you should just wait till you get to the offseason before you move on from your general manager and you move on from your head coach, which I 100% expect them to do. Is there any reason that you would find for them to move on from Mitch Kupchak before a trade deadline would happen in early February? Um, ooh. And I guess if that's standard protocol that you want to get the new guy and usher in the new era, then I think it wouldn't make the most sense to be able to do that. Um, especially with the amount of work that the Hornets could potentially be doing at the trade deadline, moving one or two or three of their key players. When you talk about Gordon Haywood, Miles Bridges, and or Terry Rozier. So, yeah, I think it would be in their best interest to get the guy who's going to be leading the Hornets for the foreseeable future to make these moves instead of a guy that looks to be uh, out of there after this season is over with. You're saying no interim, wait, and then you get the guy that's going to be here long term. Or are you, okay, yeah. So or do because I I was trying to think in my mind do teams hire a brand new GM during the season? No, yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. Well, I mean, it's I guess we could go to a Marty Herney example. Marty Herney comes back interim, turns out to be the second tenure, mm-hmm. but long term GM at that point, and so maybe that could happen. But you can't go hire somebody under the GM with a different team right now because yeah. they're still contractually obligated to stick around with their franchise. So you don't have a big pool to choose from. You have Buzz Peterson. You have whoever else is in your franchise right now, but you want to expand it. So it doesn't make much sense to me to move on from Mitch Kupchak. Yeah, well, then in that case, yeah, you just keep Mitch where he is. And yeah. He'll make some moves because he's proven that he could make some pretty decent moves, and so I'd let him. Well, he does nothing at trade deadlines. Yeah. I, the first trade he ever made was Brad Wanamaker for cash considerations. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite. Cash <laughs> yeah. I always love that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what his stats are right now, but I know Brad Wanamaker. It's not like he's doing a lot either. That was the first trade that we can remember, at least in season. So Mitch Kupchak doesn't do much. Like the biggest trade he made in season was Vernon Carey for um, Montrez Harrell. So what if ownership comes though and it's like, hey man, look, we're getting ready to blow this thing up, or do they just wait until the off season? But if they just come to him and say, hey, look, we want to make some moves before the deadline, you need to make something happen. Well, I mean, I guess Mitch Kupchak would, and I don't know if he would have to do it, mm-hmm. but I would, I would hate that. Yeah. I would hate for ownership to say, hey, trade Terry Rozier, trade Gordon Hayward, or else, and then you would just have to settle for the best offer, even if you don't think it's worth it. I would, I would really hate that, and that would show. We're not in any better hands with new ownership here in Charlotte than we were with the previous regime. Um, So that's why I I don't think that happens. I think you go out. These guys are going to choose what GM they want once the pool widens and the season is over. And then that GM will start to hire the next head coach and figure out how they want to build this team from there. You know, at, at least right now, Mitch is still operating with the team's best interest, or he should. But he just doesn't do much. He doesn't want to get swindled on a deal. He's never wanted that to happen. He's always been a little afraid, maybe a lot afraid, to take risk at the trade deadline. And he's only doing it if he feels sure that he's winning the trade. And so when you trade Carey for Montrez Harrell, the and Ishmith at that point, so the or Ishmith is also going to Washington. Like Montrez worked out for you a little bit. I, I like what he was able to do, but you know, you move on, and it's not like that had long-lasting impact on the team. So more likely than not, Mitch isn't going to be doing it again at this deadline. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. I, I am interested what's going to happen this offseason, though. Because you're going to get a high draft pick. And is new is the new regime 
going to want to trade the high draft pick that they're probably going to get for a veteran? And what is that veteran going to look like? Or do they want to continue to just, hey, we got a really high draft pick. Let's use our selection, have a rookie scale contract for a while. Maybe he's good. And then we can start to build our new core with Brandon Miller, LaMelo Ball, and whoever this top pick is. Yeah, I like that plan. We'll be interesting to see what both of these teams do in the <laughs> Queen City. All right, I'm in a bee costume. I got one more hour to go before I take the Bumblebee suit off. Two o'clock hour coming up next. Live Wire with Josh Fitty Marlowe. More Tepper fallout. More Joe Person audio. Plenty more still to come. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.